So we're in uh, John, John 15 today. So you can turn in your Bibles there with the, the scripture reading for today. And uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a review day. The, um, this is, Jesus is kind of giving an object lesson here. And uh, he's going to kind of use this object lesson to reinforce what he's been sharing with the disciples, what we've been looking at in John's chapter 13 and 14. And so it's a bit of a review day, so I thought, well, that's good. So why don't we, pop quiz, pop quiz time. <laughs> um, so what is our mission? What's our mission? That's kind of the whole question we're asking. What's our mission Jesus gave us? To make disciples. Yes, to make disciples. Anything else? Anything else as you've been kind of pondering this question that has kind of come the way you summarize it? Someone would ask you on the street, what was the mission Jesus gave the church? Anything else come to mind? Sorry? To love one another. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because we've talked about both the, the mission Jesus gave us, and we looked at Matthew 28, um, and that's been our memory verse, and we've kind of just paraphrased it here. This has kind of been the phrase that we've been using. So as you're going about life, so it's not like not just the missionaries and the, and the pastors that are, that are the disciple makers. All of us, wherever God has placed you, as you're going about life, be disciple makers. It's who we are. If you're a Christian, the Bible would say a Christian is a disciple, right? A true Christian is a disciple of Jesus. Jesus made disciples. Christian, the word Christian came later, right? Jesus made disciples, and as disciples, we want to be like Jesus and make disciples. And so we, be, we are disciple makers, inviting everyone to follow and obey Jesus. And, and then for the next number of weeks, we've been talking, kind of breaking down, what does it mean to be a disciple? What are some of the key things we need to remember in order to be disciples? We've talked about a lot of John 14 stuff. Anything? What are some of the keys to being a disciple? It's a good pause. I forgot to get the slides going. So. Amen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, strength, and mind. We looked at that last week. Um, loving one another, loving one another just as Jesus loved us, right? He gave that, that, that command, a new commandment I give you. That's what we looked at last week. We've talked about how it's still, we've been using this picture of, of how Jesus is giving all this instruction to the disciples because he's just told them he's leaving. He's not going to be physically there beside them anymore. He was going to go back to heaven, and he has gone back to heaven, right? And he, we're in the same boat. We're, we don't have Jesus walking alongside us physically, right? But what did he promise? What's another key? The Holy Spirit. Amen. He said, I will send you, and they told, the Holy Spirit, he will be in you, dwell in you. And that, that word parakletos, come alongside and assist. And so this mission to make disciples, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we can fulfill that mission. And it all, it all comes down to being in relationship with Jesus. Even though Jesus isn't physically there, he said this is all founded on a relationship with him. And that's what we're going to see. He's going to give this picture this morning um, that's going to kind of reinforce that. And so we'll just start that. This is a picture from standing on, this is a modern day picture, if you can kind of see that. A modern day picture standing on the Mount of Olives and kind of looking across the Kidron Valley, which we'll see in a couple of weeks when we get to, to that part, looking across the Kidron Valley, and what you're looking at is basically the Temple Mount. And so I think you can just see the Dome of the Rock, 
which would be where the temple would have stood, right? And so this is what we're going to read here today. If you just look at the last verse in chapter 14, Jesus says, rise, let us go from there, or go from here. Rise, let us go from here. So remember, everything we've looked at in the last number of weeks, Jesus is, was in the upper room, right? So chapter 13, Jesus, they're there for the, for the last supper in the upper room. He washes their feet. He says someone's going to betray them. He sends Judas out, last supper. And then he gives all these instructions that we've looked at over the last number of weeks in the upper room. And then here at the end of 14, chapter 14, Jesus says, okay, rise, get up, because this is the night he's going to be arrested, right? And he said, let us go from there. And where was Jesus arrested? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, and the Garden of Gethsemane was on the west side of the Mount of Olives. So just kind of to our left, I guess. My left. So if I was standing where they're standing, it was maybe just over here. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. So the disciples would have walked out of the upper room in the upper city and gone through Jerusalem, and they would have exited out a gate just kind of to the left of the Temple Mount, and they would have gone down the Kidron Valley and crossed over it and then come up the, the Mount of Olives to kind of be where these, these guys are standing. So just want you to give that picture because this is the context. So just picture that. We're his disciples. We're walking along with Jesus. You exit the gate. You're walking through this valley. The Kidron Valley was named by Solomon. He used to grow, guess what, grapes in that valley. And so you can picture they're walking along. There's probably some vineyards there in this valley as they're walking along. And, and also, they, they would have seen the, the door, the front of the temple would have been, it's the tallest building in Jerusalem, and it would have been right there to their left, right? It would have been towering over them as they're walking out that gate and down the valley. And on the front of the temple was a giant golden vine that represented, the, it represented Israel. And it comes from this verse. This is Isaiah, you might not be able to read it, Isaiah 5, 7a. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And you also, you'll see that same imagery in the Psalms. There's a number of places in the Psalms where God uses that same picture of this vine being the house of Israel. So that's why they made a big golden vine for above the temple. So I just want you to get this picture. This is an object lesson Jesus is giving. He's now, he's done all this teaching. He's walking out of the upper room. They're heading up to the Garden of Gethsemane. We know what's going to happen. And he's walking past grape vines, likely. They can probably see this big golden thing. And Jesus says, so let's get into our text. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And so he gives this picture, and he's like, see these vines? They're, he sees the disciples looking at him, and he goes, I'm the true vine. And, and he's starting this object lesson, and he, he goes, all the disciples would have known that when growing grapes, good fruit comes from a good vine. You couldn't have good fruit from a bad vine, and a, and a, bad vi and a good vine never produced bad fruit, okay? And so all the vine dressers, all the, the vineyard keepers, they would all be focused on getting healthy vines because they know if they have a healthy vine, they're going to get healthy fruit. And so Jesus thinks, I'm thinking, he's going, okay, I've got a great opportunity here for an object lesson to reinforce everything that we've talked about, those keys to being a disciple. And so he says, I'm the true vine. So in terms spiritually, Everything, all the spiritual fruit is going to be founded on me, okay? It's going to be founded. I'm the true vine. All of it's going to come from me. You're not going to get it from any other source. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In other words, you're one of the good branches, 
what he's saying there, right? And so there's these things. We have Jesus, the true vine, okay, the source of all spiritual life. We've, we've said that this, our spiritual life as disciples is still based on relationship with him, right? So he's reinforcing that idea. God's the vine dresser. He's the owner, right? And then we have the branches, and we're the branches. People are the branches, and he gives this picture of, of two different branches. You have branches that are in the vine that are producing fruit, and then you have branches that aren't. And that's what the vine dresser is looking for. What God is looking for is for the branches that are producing fruit. And so what's this fruit? I think often we talk about, and there's a number of passages you might think of that talk about the fruit in the New Testament. And, and often I think maybe we reduce it down just to salvations, Right? But really, if you look at, at all the places where it's used, it's, it's really talking about, God, the Bible uses this picture of fruit to talk about the evidence of a changed life, the evidence of, of a Christ-like character. You think of the fruits of the Spirit, right? So Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to come alongside us. Why? To make us more like him. And so the Holy Spirit should produce the fruit of the Spirit in us, love, Joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control, right? And so that's, those are Christ-like character qualities. That is, that is how we become more like Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit, that's what the fruit is. It's the evidence of a Christ-like character. And so God is looking for that evidence. That's the fruit that he's looking for. And so if, there's, if you're a Christian... Right? If you're a disciple, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then it's inevitable you're going to have the fruit of a Christ-like character because that is the work of Jesus in your life. And so that's what God's looking for, right? Is the evidence of that you are truly a Christian, that you have the evidence of a Christ-like character that's changing you and you're growing and you're bearing more fruit. And we see this in... In verse 2 there, you see what, what God is looking to do. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And so we have that picture of the ones, if there's someday there is going to be a judgment, right? Where God is going to separate those that never had a life in the vine, Right? Those are the branches, and they'll be taken away. And, and, and it, Jesus is going to go into more detail in verse 6. We'll get there. But then this other, these branches, it says, the other thing the vine dresser God does is he looks for the ones that are in Christ, the ones that are saved, Christians, disciples. He looks to prune. Anybody ever done any pruning? Oh, we got lots of hands. Oh, yeah, lots of people have done pruning. So for me, my experience of pruning was my opa, my mom's dad. So my opa was a farmer, grew up in Moorfield, actually, so not too far. Um, and that's where my mom grew up. And so on his farm, I remember as a little kid, he had apple trees. And grandpa's, opa's apple trees always bore so much fruit. I mean, they were just always full of apples, and oma would make apple pie and, and, uh, and applesauce and, and stuff. And that's kind of my memory. And then after opa sold the farm, um, years later, my parents bought a little piece of property up near Owen Sound, where they live now. And it had, it was just a corner of a farmer's field that they had severed off because it was too wet to farm. And, uh, and so it had overgrown over 20-something years, and, but it had some apple trees on it, but they'd never been kept, never been harvested or anything. And so they, my parents, have built their home there, and they had these apple trees, and mom wanted to kind of 
do the same and make apple pie and applesauce, and, which I'm all for. And, uh, and, but these trees, the fruit was terrible. The fruit was all diseased. They were small. Some years there'd be this huge thing of apples. The next year there'd be hardly anything. And so mom called Opa and said, hey, can you do something about these apple trees? And Opa came out to prune. And so the first thing that he did um, was he, he cut out all the diseased and dead branches, right? Because those things cause disease in the good branches. They affect the fruit. When we have disease and dead for things, they, they, they hinder us from having the fruit. So remember what our spiritual fruit is, Christ-like character. And so it's pretty obvious the disease and the dead is sin, right? That's the thing that holds us back, that restricts us from having the kind of fruitful life that God wants us to have. And so I thought of this verse from Hebrews. I like this verse. A lot of you know why. But Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Right? And so this one here, there's a metaphor of a race, and it's, and it's picturing sin is, is getting you all tangled up and holding you back from being able to run the race. That's what it does, right? It's not that you completely stopped running, it's just it's hindering you. And so you've got to throw off the sin that hinders. And so it's kind of the same picture Jesus is giving with the dead and diseased branches. He goes, for us as Christians, God calls us to rid of sin. And, and one of the things God does in our hearts is he prunes us. He, he, he works away at the sin in our lives. And, and we talked about confession this morning a little bit and just how important that is, that God, there's always something God's going to be working on in your life. And we seek, and that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. John 16 tells us the Holy Spirit will convict of sin. And then Jesus chisels away, <laughs> chips away at those things, prunes those dead and diseased branches. But that's not all the pruning was. Right? A lot of you who have pruning you know that you don't just take away the dead and diseased ones. You do that for sure. But they also take away some of the good, the healthy branches, the really leafy ones. Right? And why? Because they want it to bear more fruit. See how the text says that God prunes so that you're bearing fruit. You're a true Christian, but you want you to bear more fruit. And so sometimes there's things that aren't wrong, aren't sin, but those things aren't allowing us to bear the kind of fruit that God would like us to bear. Anybody ever had God ask you to sacrifice something? Give something up, right? I thought of the story of the rich young ruler. And as I was thinking about this, and just that picture, right? This, if you know that one, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all, all record it. But this, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, I mean, he hasn't died on the cross yet, so Jesus gives him the the Jewish answer and says, well, you know the law, obey the law, basically. And, and the young ruler says, I've done all that. I've, I've obeyed since I was young. And Jesus goes, oh, I see what you're asking, really. He goes, okay, well, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. And it says the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had great wealth and he just couldn't let go. See, Jesus just put his finger right on the thing that for him was going to be that hindrance, that thing that was entangling him from truly bearing all the fruit God wanted him to bear. And for him, it was that. It was wealth. It was, and so God put his finger right on it. And so what is it for you? There's good things. Money's not a bad thing. We know that, right? But there's things that God is going to say for you if you want to bear more fruit. And I want to bear more fruit in your life. You're going to have to give this up time, effort. You're going to have to do some of those things that are hard. 
You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to, to um, step out of your comfort zone, right? And that's the pruning. And so there's the picture. Jesus gives this picture. We have Jesus is the vine that sustains the life, right? And then you have God as the vine dresser. And then you have us as these branches and this fruit that God is looking to bear in our lives. And now Jesus is going to go on and he's going to expand on this and he's going to use this word, I'm reading ESV, or if you have King James, New King James, it'll say abide. And he's going to use this word over and over. If you're looking at NLT or NIV, a lot of them use remain, okay? And he's going to use this picture of abiding to, to kind of help us understand a lot of these things we've looked at over the last number of weeks, okay? So verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Abide. So definition of this word abide, it means to remain in, re- in place or relation. Okay? To remain or replace, and that's why some translations translate it remain, but some other synonyms might be to dwell, to remain, to endure. It gives kind of the picture of there's some resistance, something, a difficult circumstance, to be present. And so really the picture, if you think of what Jesus is talking here about remaining in a vine, it's, it's about an ongoing sustaining life. And so we're thinking about ourselves as disciples and our spiritual life. What, what Jesus is saying here is that the ongoing, sustaining spiritual life is from me. And we know that with a tree or a branch, if you cut it off, it starts dying instantly. It's not like it fills it up and you've got a battery for a while, right? No, it's like you need to be constantly, as soon as you're cut off, it starts to die, right? So Jesus is saying, I'm the, the sustaining life. That's what abiding is, the ongoing, sustaining, constant Life is connection with me. That's what the spiritual life is. And then he gives these two pictures. He's got abide in me, and then he's going to say I in you. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? And, and I just got thinking about there's, there's so many examples in the New Testament that talk about being in Christ. What does that mean, to be in Christ? <laughs> and I just thought, I think this picture here, the in Christ, if you just think, if I was to really simplify it down, I think people have written entire doctoral papers on this, so, but, but to really simplify it down, it, it's things to do with salvation, right? If you think of it through that lens, that might be a simple way to look at it. Being in Christ is, see, Jesus put himself in our place, right? And so you think about sin. Jesus took our place of punishment for sin. That's what he did on the cross, he, he substituted himself. We had a debt we couldn't pay. Well, we could pay it, but it's, it's eternal death, right? And so he took that punishment on himself. He substituted himself in that place. And, and then his righteousness, then the other thing that allows us to have relationship with God, that allows us someday to be in the presence of a holy God where there can be no sin, where you can only, only perfectly righteous can be in the presence of God, which we are never capable of, Jesus has substituted, given us his righteousness, right? So you kind of get that picture. It's that picture of we are, we are in Christ. It's his righteousness that surrounds us, that covers us. It's his blood that covers our sin, right? And so when God looks at us, that's, that's kind of the picture of being in Christ. It's, it's his 
Him that surrounds us, that even allows us to boldly approach the throne, as it says in Hebrews, right? That's kind of the picture of being in Christ. And I just, this Romans 8 is an example. It could have lots of different verses, but here's a, an example of that. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, right? Kind of that picture of being our salvation, being in Christ. And so I just thought of a, maybe a, another example, a way to picture it would be, I got thinking of a, a baby in a mother's womb. Now this isn't perfect, I'm not teaching systematic theology here, okay? This is just to be helpful, okay? If it doesn't help you, don't just throw it away. But, but uh, it's kind of, kind of like, kind of like a baby in a mother's womb. The baby is a life, its own life. It's an entity of itself, right? And yet, it's literally in the mother's life, right? And, and it can't live without that, at that point, without that mother's, right? That, that oxygen and the food comes from the mother. And so it's kind of, its life is its own. We have a spiritual life, but its life is only alive because it's in the mother. I kind of get that picture. That's us in Christ, right? And so, so again, so God, Jesus starts with this picture. He starts with salvation. He starts with salvation. How do we be the branches? How do we be the disciples? Well, it starts with salvation. You have to be in Christ. If Christ hasn't, if you haven't accepted that gift of grace, if your sin isn't covered, if you're not in his blood, you know, covered by his blood, if you haven't, if you aren't in his righteousness, then there is no relationship. It's a full stop. That's that branch that withers and dies, right? And so that's the starting point. Abide in me. That's why Jesus starts it that way. And then he adds this, and I in you. And we all know what that means because we've looked at it a couple weeks now. What does it mean, Jesus in us? By the Holy Spirit, right? So Jesus promises that even though I'm leaving, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. That is the presence of Jesus with us. Remember our memory verse? And I will be with you until the end of the age on this mission to make disciples. And so the Christian life is first salvation, us in Christ, and then him in us by the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, come alongside assisting us to, to carry out this mission. And then Jesus is going to give kind of the, the opposite side of that, the flip side of that. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. He actually kind of gives a bit of a metaphor of hell there. And so this is that picture that if you are not in Christ, remember what that means? That's your salvation, right? If you are not in Christ, the Bible says you are spiritually dead. You're a dead branch. And so this is a call. This is a be in me. It's an invitation, right? And those eventually, we know that on that judgment day, those branches will be gathered and they'll be thrown into the fire and burned. And so if you're taking points, here's just kind of point number one. The life of a disciple is one where we have received the gift of God's salvation through Jesus and we now live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? All right. Now Jesus is going to take that same word abide and he's going to t use it to talk about a couple more things that we've, again, it's, this is an object lesson review of our last number of weeks here. So verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus starts again with that same picture, starts with salvation. If you abide in me, if you're saved, if you're a disciple, I hope I'm talking to all of us, right? If you're one of his disciples, and my words abide in you, right? And this is what we've talked about the last couple weeks. How does God's word abide in us? If we just look back, John 14, 23 and 24, it says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me and so we talked about this that in this relationship that we have with god we talk about the relationship with jesus being foundational but how do you have a relationship with god how do we show love to god he showed us his love by dying on the cross giving us his righteousness, right? How do we show love to him? By obeying. It says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's verse 21. Okay? And so we are obedient by obeying his commands and his commands by his word. We talked about in past weeks how it's the Holy Spirit in us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to apply God's word to our hearts and then to remind us in the moment, right? That's how we abide that's how his his word abides in us remember that abide is that constant ongoing um, life that it gives us so it's not just reading your devotional time in the morning it's that that we take that and we believe that god will speak to us through his word that the holy spirit can apply it to our life to our situation and then that as we go out into our day that we're looking for god to then apply it to the situations that we're in that's how it's, it's, it's not just an hour on Sunday that we look at his word, right? It's something that is living, it's abiding in us. And that's, that's, call that our part of the relationship, right? How do you have a relationship with Jesus? That's the part that we can do. That's the part that he's asked us to be obedient to. And so... And then verse, verse 8, look at, the, uh, look at the result. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so when we are obeying God's word and he's leading us in life and we're going out into our day and we've, we've sought him for the situation of that day and he's, we've opened up our heart, to, to hear his word, and we go into our day, the Holy Spirit, remember, the Holy Spirit is also reminding us, and the Holy Spirit, as you get into that, you're interacting with that person, the Holy Spirit's going, do this, say this, love them this way, reach out in that way, right? And so as we do that, that is the fruit that glorifies God. That is the things that shape our character and bear fruit in our life. And when we bear Christian fruit, that's when God is glorified, and that has an impact. It's not only that, but that is the witness to the world. When people see us living out a Christ-like character, they're drawn to him. And so salvations are part of the fruit. They're part of the fruit because we, we can't help but want to share this incredible news and what Jesus has done in our life. And, and we care for them. We want them to have the eternal life that we have. And so we will share it, and there will be salvations, and they will know that we're his disciples. And so point two, we show that we have a real relationship with Jesus by seeking to hear and obey his word. 
This obedience glorifies God and is a witness to the world. And then the last one, that Jesus uses this abide one more time, verses 9, 10, 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And so we've already kind of touched on this. We've touched on how this loving relationship we have with Jesus on our part is based in obedience. If we love him, we will obey his commands. If we love him, we'll abide in his word. Or his word will abide in us. And so now Jesus is inviting us in, and he's, he's getting down as he's going, now abide in my love, right? And love's the foundation of relationship. And he gives the picture of him with the Father, of how just the way the Father loves the Son, Jesus is calling us to, to enter into relationship where he's going to love us in the same way. And I went back and I looked and I thought, how did the Father love the Son? Right? And there's a couple different references. Back in John 3.35, it says the Father loved Jesus by entrusting him the plan of salvation. It was one of the ways that the Father showed love to the Son, right? And, and for us, God has given us a mission. He's his, out of Jesus' love, he's entrusted us this mission to go and make disciples. He's given that to us as the church, as his disciples. It's one of the ways he shows love. And then the Father also showed love to the Son by raising him from the dead. And now he's glorified in heaven with all the glory he had once had, Philippians 2, right? And so he, Jesus has kind of done that for us. His, we are given eternal life. John three sixteen. God so loved us that eternal life, right? And so we too, out of Jesus' love, a loving relationship is why we can have eternal life. And then Jesus reciprocally showed his love to the Father by being obedient. And that's what he calls us to. And then you see the result in, first, in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Right? And so the result of a, of a life in relationship with God is a life of joy. It's not a burdensome, you know, following a bunch of rules. The Christian life should be the greatest, most joyful life you can ever have. And Jesus is inviting us into that. And it, but it's a life of obedience, right? And, and if I could just paraphrase it, I, I think it would, this is kind of what Jesus is saying. This is how I picture it. Just try obeying me. Let me lead you in life. Even if it seems like it's hard, or you don't understand, or that I'm asking you to give up something you enjoy, or do something that's not easy, that requires sacrifice. Just try it and see that you will find joy that you didn't realize was possible. That's, that's what he's asking us to. Sometimes is we want to be our own gods. That's the sinful nature, right? And what we wrestle with is sometimes we want it to make sense to us. We, in, in our flesh, is wanting it, us to be all about us. It's always self-seeking. And Jesus is saying, out of obedience, just try it. I know it doesn't seem, your, your flesh isn't saying, that's not going to bring me joy. What, you want me to forgive them? Do you know what they did? How will that bring joy, you know? And, and we hold on to our bitterness, you know? And you just think, but God, Jesus is saying, just try it. Just trust me here. Trust me that if you are willing to try and reconcile, I guarantee you it will end up in more joy. I know it's going to be hard. 
Just try it. Just try it. Maybe it's a sin you're struggling with, right? And God's saying, I tell you, confess your sins to one another. Don't do it alone. I, can, I know it'll be hard. I know it'll be so hard and it might be embarrassing. But I'm telling you, just trust me. It's going to work out for your joy. You know, you won't have to struggle it alone. Bring your burdens to me. Let someone come alongside you. Find someone you trust. Stop trying to do it alone. Just trust me. I know it's hard. Just trust me. You know, I'm asking you to give up that thing, right? I'm telling you, it's going to bring you, it's better to give than receive. Just trust me. I know it, it feels, you don't know how you're going to be able to, whatever, if you do that. But I'm just telling you, just trust me. Just trust me and find, if you won't find, more joy in life. Um, and so, our last point here, Jesus is telling us to trust him to lead us into a relationship we'll, where we'll experience his love and joy as we follow him. Mm-hmm. Amen. And so just to, as we close here, look to be doers of the word. This was kind of, this was an object lesson. It was a picture, and he's just been reinforcing. These are all things we've talked about the last number of weeks. But just to remind us, first off, we need to abide in Jesus, right? That's our salvation. And if you don't know that salvation, if you haven't received that free gift that Jesus is offering, that the payment for your sin, you can do that. He's inviting you. Come, come and pray. Come and invite him to be Lord of your life. Receive that salvation. You could do that today if you'd like. Come up in the last song. Someone will pray with you. Bring someone with you. Okay, that's always step one. That starts that relationship. That connects you to the vine. And then Jesus abides in you. And a reminder to those of us who are Christians that are part of that vine to depend on the Holy Spirit. You know, I was convicted there and I preached on that just how often I, I have the Holy Spirit, the God in me. And how often do I make my, try and do it alone, make it on my own decisions and wisdom, you know? It's like we need to depend on him. God has given us the Holy Spirit. Why do we try and do it on our own power and wisdom? And so let's depend on him. His word abide in us. And a couple of weeks ago, I gave you that, maybe something to try in your devotions where before you go to read, you're not just reading to kind of check a box. You're not just reading because the Bible says to. You're not just reading, you know, get it done. Fill your head with more knowledge. We want God to speak to us. And so before you do your devotions, Ask God, take a couple minutes just to think, God, what is going on in my life? Where do I need to see you work and move? And then, and then read, and read with ears open for him to speak. And then when he does, you go into your day looking to obey. When the Holy Spirit gives that nudge, give me the courage to step out of my comfort zone and do what you're asking. And then lastly, abide in the love of Jesus. He loves you so, so much. The Christian life is the greatest gift that God could ever give to invite us into relationship with an almighty holy God as a creation. That's incredible. What a privilege. And so let's, let's abide in that. Let's take, let's have joy in that. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We thank you um, for your death, that you did pay for our sin on the cross, that you offer that freely to anyone who would accept it. We thank you for being Lord of our lives, that, that when we turn to you and we surrender and we submit our lives to you, that 
we can trust you, that it is the best possible life, that your desire is that we would have life and life to the full, life abundant, a life that your joy may be full, that our joy, by giving us your joy. And, uh, and so, Lord, help us to live that out. Stir in our hearts, Lord. Um, show us if there's anything, there is any sin that is tangling us and holding us back. Reveal that to our hearts and then help us to overcome it. As we repent of that, as we come alongside brothers and sisters and help one another to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Holy Spirit, do a work in us and among us and then stir our hearts to share this incredible message of your love with a world that so needs to hear it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.